Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Today's guest is Bruno Hansen. Bruno's a South African with more survival stories than any other person I've ever met. He is the three-time Adaptive Surfing World Champion. He has an incredibly unique outlook on life and so much knowledge, spiritual, physical, and emotional to share. I really look forward to talking with uh, Bruno now. Hey, Bruno, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's um, it's taken a bit of time to get you, but here we are. <laughs> nice one, mate. Hey, so listen, you have a you have a pretty incredible story, and not just one story, but many, many, many stories, stories that can fill a book. So uh, I know we've got a limited amount of time with this podcast, so let's just set the scene for our our listeners here. Just tell us a bit about who you are as a man, who you were before your accident, and tell us how you ended up spending your life in this crazy adaptive community of ours. Yeah, okay. So where do I begin? It, it feels like I've lived a thousand different lives and met a thousand different people and become, you know, different people through all those different journeys or different person you should say but i guess the person i am now is it's pretty solid i know who i am i know what i want i know where i'm going and i'm fit i'm strong and i've got all my i got my life together but that wasn't always the case if we go back 20 years to when i broke my back you know that um which happened in a in a in a in a um, attempted carjacking in south africa um on the way back to the airport where I was supposed to be flying back that I was a captain of doing surf trips up and down Indonesia. So I was 27 years old, you know, young, earning money, living in a pair of board shorts and living the best life anyone could possibly want. I was 10 foot tall, had a string of different girlfriends. I could do anything. I was invincible. Mm. And I loved life. You know, I loved life and I loved my legs. I used to run every morning. I used to, you know, free dive, surf. I used to, I used to be as physical as much as I could. And of course, then becoming paralyzed and um, not really believing that paralysis was a permanent issue, that affected me in the first five years in quite a radical way. From being the brave soldier in the hospital and the rehabilitation and leaving that and entering the real world and getting turned away from cinemas because I was fire hazard or bars, um, not being able to go into banks started affecting me because I realized that I actually didn't want to live in a, live on land in a normal town. But even then, life was difficult and hard. And so, you know, I, I started thinking that there's no way that I could go back to living the life that I had before, which was in the wilds of, in the wilds on the planet, you know, wherever it was, on a yacht or going down a river. You know, I, I used to do a lot of river rafting as well, down Zimbabwe, down the Zambezi, things like that. So the, um, it was quite a journey to get to where I am now, but great, great life lessons along the way. So tell us about, a, like, tell, was there a moment where you were at your darkest, where you're in your deepest, darkest place? And how did, you, how did you get yourself out of that or what circumstance enabled you to get out of that and, and start progressing forward? It's a really complicated question because I think I had a lot of dark times, a lot of dark places that I went to over different over those five years. 
But the one, the one major event that, that got me right was when I tried to drown myself in Mexico. And I was basically piggybacked down to the beach, put onto a longboard. The people I was with thought that I was just wanting to go for a paddle and a surf. So they were kind of cheering me on and trying to help me. Little did they know that I had an ulterior plan. That was to drown myself out there. And I'd planned it so well that I even thought, mm, I should take the leash off when I'm out there so I'm not a dead body that attached, that's attached to this poor girl's surfboard. At least, you know, I might get eaten or washed out and the board will, the board will be okay. And they'll find that. <laughs> and, um, you know, I very dramatically threw myself off this longboard once I'd paddled out into, this, into, the, into an area of the sea where there were no waves, actually. And I just couldn't sink, couldn't fall to the bottom. It was impossible. And... Um, <laughs> bobbed around like a cork, getting more and more angry that I couldn't actually drown myself. And subsequently, I got hit. I climbed back on this board, and I got hit by a small foamy because I tried to then paddle out to where there were waves. got hit by a small foamy, and this board just sort of turned on itself, and I ended up riding a small wave back to the beach. It was probably about a 20-centimeter high foamy, so nothing. But that was such an exhilarating feeling, and something rebooted in my system in those sort of, I would call it, it was under 10 seconds. Something happened to me, and I don't actually know what it is. But it gave me a zest for life and a need to want to, to enjoy life at that moment in time. But through the years, you know, it, it took me a while to, to get to the place I, where I am now. But, you know, saying that, I still have that dark angel that lurks on the one shoulder and then the that's, you know, that angel of uh, power and light or whatever you want to call it is on the other shoulder. And there are times when I slip into a, into a depressive state, but I can, I can understand it. I see it coming mm. and I, I put the brakes on and I look at things clearly and calmly. And I, whatever I do is I make sure I don't drink alcohol. I stay away from alcohol. I stay away from weed at that point in time. Mm. At that at that point where I feel like I'm getting depressed. And it sometimes comes out of the blue. It can be when I'm hanging out in California with everything going for me. Competitions, I'm winning. I've got no bills to pay. I'm staying with good friends in a beautiful house. Um, and then this darkness can start. I often wonder, where, where is it coming from? Why is it there? So, <clears throat> and do you know? Do you know where that comes from? Do you know why that is? Uh, I I think. I think it's perhaps a deep sadness in life of still not being able to do everything that I want to do, mm. um, which is perhaps go for a hike in the hills, mm. or climb a tree, or go for a run along the beach with a with a pretty girl. I think there are certain small triggers that trigger me into thinking. Oh man, is this it? Is this it? Am I still paralyzed? Am I still stuck in a chair? But then I start looking upon the things in, that I've accomplished in the in the past twenty years. You know, surviving the tsunami, crossing the Indian Ocean, surviving Somalis piracy. You know, looking for treasures. You know, meeting famous actors, hanging out in amazing with amazing, amazing wealthy people that are really good people as well as being wealthy, and sort of, you know, leaving that glamour and going to sleep in a car that no one knows about for the night. So, you know, living in a billionaire's house in Monaco, but having to use the bushes to go to the toilet <laughs> because I couldn't get into the house and sleeping in a van. So 
I call upon my past to actually help me with, with the present and when it, there are times when I start to become drawn into that dark place again. So as much as I say I've got my shit together, and there are times when I feel I could slip. So I keep tight rein on that. But it's good that you've got that emotional intelligence to recognize it and, and to accept it and, and, uh, and, and appreciate the things that are, are going well for you. I think that's really important. You know, everybody, whether you're paralyzed or not, has something in their life that isn't going quite right. Even the billionaires that seemingly have everything together, there's, there's always things that, that don't seem to go right. I think the trick really is to, to appreciate what you do have and the, and the people you have around you and the, the things that are going well. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always said, you know, everyone on the planet is disabled in some way, whether it be spiritually, mentally, or physically. And at least we have that disability that's in that's in people's faces. They can actually see our physical disability. But, you know, I meet people where they've got everything. They've got the money, they've got the looks, they've got the lifestyle. And then when I really start getting to know them, they open up to me and I realize how they're hurting, how they're how they can't sleep at night, um, how they're battling their own demons. And, and, um, and so I guess in a way we've all got our crosses to bear and mm. it's just how we deal with that, you know? And I think what I, I think the difference with a, a personality like mine is that because I grew up in a wild lifestyle, I grew up in Rhodesia in a civil war in Zimbabwe. My parents were shot down in the first Viscount called the Hanyani disaster. They were shot down in 1978 by terrorists. They survived that plane crash. They survived the, 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 the assassinations afterwards where they were all, all the survivors were lined up and shot and killed. They survived that. They survived the hyenas that then came to eat all the bodies. <clears throat> and after that, I traveled with my parents around the world on a, on a shoestring budget. And I think they were just out to experience life. And what was the meaning? Why did they survive as a couple together when everyone else died? And so as a child, I, I was influenced by a wild, a wilder side to life and an alternate form of living. And so I've managed to bring that as a strength into living life in a wheelchair. I think you've said that so very, very well. I, I attribute my adventurous past and the the rich experiences I've had, whether it be freezing cold in, in the mountains or surviving avalanches or, you know, sailing across oceans. And I attribute that that out of comfort zone experience with enabling me to have the mental fortitude to to get through, you know, breaking my back and becoming paralyzed. And so I, I guess I tell everybody paralyzed or not like if you in a controlled way test your test your comfort zones and push push your barriers then you'll be armed with with mental fortitude right that'll that'll put you in good stead for those unforeseen circumstances whether they be you know a devastating earthquake or um you know or an injury or a, or a close family member that dies you, you just have that mental resilience to to see yourself through uh, yeah no so, for sure and i think it's a and i think it's a never-ending journey because these challenges that we're facing as humans not just as some girls and guys sitting in wheelchairs and are paralyzed i think it's never-ending journey because being in a chair once we start becoming too complacent in life of mm. living in this chair that's when we start to get out of shape perhaps too comfortable 
We watch too much TV. We don't go outside enough. We don't say yes enough. Mm. And, um, you know, that can then, even it doesn't matter what we've done in our past. It doesn't matter, you know, from a personal side, if I've survived tsunamis and piracy and, you know, bandits with machetes and gun-toting Mexican bandits. It's just lately I've started realizing that our immortality, and it's something I think about quite a lot now, about how long do we live and what is it that we want to accomplish and what is it that when we take those last breaths, what is it that we want to be content with or be happy with uh, at the end of the day? Have you figured that out? What what drives you, Bruno? What are some of the things that... I think it's people, you know, I'm a, I'm generally a people hater, but I'm a people lover as well. I'm a great socialite. I love joking around and, and hanging out with different people. Um, but at the same time, I'm very, very reclusive and I, and I do my own thing and I don't have time for victims, mm. which is, is quite hypocritical because I should have more time for that. But, you know, I just the other night I was at a party and, um, this girl, the more she was drinking, the more she was opening up to me about her back problems. Mm. And um, we're surrounded, uh, you know, around a table, surrounded by a bunch of people, maybe 20, 30 people. And I just said, look, I don't want to offend anyone here, but you're telling me about your back problems. But while you've been talking to me, you've smoked three cigarettes. I've seen you chug back two glasses of wine. You've had a couple of tequilas. Now you're looking for some weed and you want to go and look for some other chemicals too, so that you can escape your reality. And I said, you're going about it the wrong way. You're here, you're here talking to me, worried about the future, that your back is going to collapse in upon you, as the doctors say, and that you may end up paralyzed in a wheelchair. But at the same time, you're not helping yourself. So I, I have a tough love kind of approach to people like that. And I say, you need to get off the cigarettes. You need to go and hang on a bar. You need to get an inversion table. And you need to get yourself 100% healthy. Otherwise, don't come talk to me. I don't want to hear any more moaning. It's done. It's over. And people were a bit shocked at my approach to her, but she came to me late in the night crying and, and so thankful for what I told her because she needed that tough love kind of approach. You know? what, is it that, a, what is uh, it about people that – what is it about people like, like this girl that you mentioned that why, – why can't they see that clearly? Why, why can they not um, show uh, restraint and show I, focus – to, to yeah, helping themselves? Yeah. Good question. I've been dwelling on that for a while, and I think I've worked it out. I honestly think that this might not be the complete answer, but I think that it's definitely something to do with it. I think it's first-world problems where people have had easy lives. And just by me in California being here for a couple of months, seeing how people live and seeing what they think the problems they have, I think people are not challenged enough. Uh, in their day-to-day lives because everything's easy. It's so easy to be be a vegan or a vegetarian in California. <laughs> mm. Now, you try be a vegetarian down in Panama. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, the challenge is here. We've, our society has come to a point where everything is so streamlined and kind of easy that it sits about a whole new in your mind and in, your, in one's heart. Mm. And I believe in day-to-day challenge. And that's kind of why... I have still been living the way I live. I don't have time to bitch and moan about certain things in life because I'm too busy surviving. Yeah, and I, well. and, I re- and I think that this certain girl that I was talking to, her life is far too easy. And so 
there are other problems that creep in. I think you could well be right there, Bruno. Definitely. The earthquakes here in Christchurch, New Zealand, uncovered a whole range of this where for one person, their the discomfort of their pet was traumatic for them. And I mean deeply traumatic, you know, yeah. because they hadn't experienced anything outside of, hmm. um, you know, those very basic um, and privileged uh, life's, lifestyles, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about about surfing and tell me about your first experience in a, in a competition. And I, I really want to get a sense for how that scene has evolved and how the, how the surfing, the adaptive surfing community has evolved. And I'd like to know about how – how it works and how you manage to do things. I mean, how, how do you look after your body? How do you look after your skin? Um, mm. You know, how do you? How what modifications have you made to to equipment to enable you to do what you do? Mm. Well, so I never even knew what adaptive surfing was until the first World Championships in 2015. So I basically thought I might be the only paralyzed guy on the planet that's surfing, because I knew of nobody, and I was on the hunt. I used to look online. I'd heard about um, the guy here in America on the Life Rolls On Foundation. And, yeah. And, Jesse. and so I wrote, yes, yes, Jesse. And I wrote to that foundation, but never got an answer back. So I figured, oh, well, I don't know what that is. Um, and, and so my adaptive surfing was born by hanging out, first of all, trying to drown myself, and that didn't happen, catching that little wave. That's where it started. But – hanging out with mates that were surfers, all my old buddies, and just hanging out with them and using old kneeboards, basically, hmm. and going along for the ride with them. I never knew what wasn't possible. So when we got to a beach where there was full of boulders and rocks at five in the morning when it's still pitch black, I would crawl over the rocks. I'd always have booties on. That's one thing. I always have booties on. I'd crawl over the rocks. A mate would come with his board, give it to me, throw it into the water and I have to swim, swim towards my board, grab it, and then get on that board without putting the leash on and swim as hard, or paddle as hard as I could to get out past the break with these monsters coming through. Otherwise, I get washed up back up on the rocks and terrifying it in, in the dark because we want to be there for the sunrise, whereas my mates would then walk around and paddle out where there was a channel. So my <laughs> mates, in a way, pushed me to becoming who I am in the surf world. So when I heard about the Adaptive World Championships in California in 2015, I was in Panama at the time, and I used to joke around with my cousin saying, I'm going to go and win that thing. But at the back of my mind, I thought, oh, gosh, this looks like quite a big event. How come I've never even known about this? And so I arrived here, and I didn't even have a surfboard. I arrived in San Diego, where I am now, right now, talking to you from San Diego. Um, I'm here training for this year's World Championships, the 2018 World Champs. So 2015, I arrived here. I didn't even have a surfboard. <laughs> I arrived here with no sponsors, no team members, no coaches, no massage therapists. And I came across this amazing event that I was quite intimidated by in, in a way. I started meeting all these incredible adaptive surfers with, that were paralyzed or blind or one arm, or, you know, amputees, whatever. And um, I just thought, well, this is going to be a great time just to socialize, make connections, hang out with some dudes, and just see what it's all about, American style. Didn't even ever think about trying to win. Didn't even think about it because I could see some 
well-sponsored athletes with a whole team, 20 people in a team, wavologists and coaches and board carriers and all these fancy carbon surfboards with special handles and <laughs> very shiny and go foster stripes on them. And, and, um, and so, um, I just sort of first gumped my way through it and, and, uh, ended up at a place called bird surf shed in San Diego. Fantastic, fantastic place. And the owner's called Eric and his nickname is bird. And he gave me a 25 year old Californian egg style surfboard. <laughs> called it the green mamba ugly as hell. And I surfed my way and won the world championships on that, on that machine. So what modifications did you have to put some hand holds on it or something like that? <laughs> I, um, on my normal boards that I ride, you know, big barrels with an endo, I put two leash plugs into the front and I put a bit of string so I can just hang on to a handle. Mm. Of course, I didn't really have the time or money at that point to actually go to a, uh, a surf shop and get the leash plugs put in and what have you. So I just glued something on, glued these like plastic things on the front and put a rope between the two. And I uh, didn't even have a proper fin for the board. I had to go and borrow a single fin. <laughs> and that board, I've still got that board today, and it sits here, and I still ride it, and I'm still keep, I still keep it ready for the world championships. Even though I'm sponsored by Firewire now, you know, Firewire give me surfboards to use. I keep that board on a standby basis because it's the it's a trusty faithful. And um, that's what taught me. In the, in 2015, I learned something quite amazing: was that we can still accomplish great things with minimal resources. Yeah, awesome. So what transpired after you won that that event? How did that set the wheels in motion for you? Oh, gosh, yeah, that turned that that put my life on a 90 degree tangent of oh, yeah, I'd been I'd been spending a lot of time in Bali and you know, I just built a tree house. And so I wanted to just to spend a lot of time staying in Bali and and relaxing a bit. Um, but that didn't happen after winning the world champs. I've been gallivanting the planet ever since, which has been a fantastic experience. But I'm I'm also getting a bit tired. You know, it's it's tiring living out of a bag, always in someone else's house, because adaptive surfing is still not in the in the limelight where we make enough money. Where we make it, you know, we might win five hundred bucks here or there, but we don't make money. So it's tiring living on a shoestring in first world countries where I'm used to living in third world countries where, you know, Bali, for instance, I can go eat for $2, go mm. eat a really good meal. Yeah. You bring out a 20, just looking at something <laughs> or you go to subway, but adaptive surfing has grown over the last three or four years to an amazing, amazing place. And now I'm, I'm sort of, I joke around with all the, the young up and coming kids and I say, come on guys, it's time for you guys to start beating me. This is too much pressure on me, man. I'm an old man. You guys need to start whipping some ass. You're 20 years old or you're 14 <laughs> years old. Come on, guys. You know, um, but I still um, I still have got an edge on a lot of them, and I'm still aiming to win the world champs this year. So it's, uh, it's a fantastic – something fantastic to witness, the growth of this adaptive surfing sport. Um, and I just use it now as a means to keep fit, strong, and healthy. Hey, Bruno, so tell me, in terms of your paralysis and, you know, catheters, you know, using, uh, you know, managing your bowel, all of those sort of things, how do you, how do you do that when you, when you travel so much? How do you, 
how do you keep your supplies on hand? And like, I mean, I use mm. disposable catheters to go to the loo, and man, I've got boxes and boxes of right. damn things. How, I know. How do yeah. you manage that? How do you? Oh. How do you? How do you? How do you do that, man? Well, one day I looked at all these. I've got intermittent catheters as well, and I looked at all of these things. There are times where also most of the time now I use a leg bag with like a convene on it, you know, so I can just pee into it, almost like a condom thing. So I can just pee into that when I'm out and about in the world. Um, But one day I looked at all this plastic and I just started feeling sick. I was sickened by it and angry. I was so angry because I realized that we actually need these plastic things. But we, at the same time, we are helping to destroy this planet because I've been out on the oceans for so much and I see what's out there. I see all the plastic. And it doesn't go anywhere. It goes into the ocean. And um, Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? You know, there's 8 million tons a year. And I looked at all this stuff and I thought, right, I'm going to downsize. So what I do now, I urge every, every guy in a wheelchair, the girls is a whole other story, so I'm not too afraid with all that, but I urge all guys in chairs that use it, these intermittent catheters is to do what I do. I open it up. I use it. I put a drop of Dettol in a one and a half liter of water. So it almost sterilizes it. And then I just clean that catheter. I just pour water in it, this Dettol water, into the um, into its original packing. And I just keep it in there. And I use that for a month at a time, minimum. minimum. Mm. I go through 12 a year now. instead of four a day or six a day or whatever it is. Mm. You know? and, and infections, you, you've had no troubles? In the beginning, I was hospitalized quite a few times. But, you know, I'm very, very, very disciplined and very strict with myself when I'm traveling on drinking alcohol, firstly. Like, I'll have a wild party, but I will definitely drink a lot of water the next day and relax. Mm. <clears throat> so I've been very lucky with infections, very, very lucky. In the last, I would say, 10 years i haven't had any um, and I, I i they if i feel a slight one coming on for whatever reason if i haven't drunk enough water over the one day and i've been surfing a lot i start to feel a little bit shaky a little bit of a fever and then i just go and rest i force myself to rest drink a lot of water with a touch of lemon and i rest my body and i can kill an infection in a day now and i never take antibiotics yeah. But I had to wean myself. I had to get myself to that place. It was tough to get there because I had to spend years getting to this point of looking after my body in this way. So, you know, I'm very, very strict with my eating. I love food. I mean, I'm half Italian. I want to eat all the time. I could be the biggest porker on this planet, the biggest adaptive surfer. On <laughs> but, man, when I look at that big burrito, I've got to turn around and walk away and go eat some carrots. So unless I've surfed for four hours of a day where I've spent a lot of time in the gym, then I eat. But otherwise, we have to be strict with ourselves, and that's how I um, deal with my bowels. So I'm highly, highly disciplined. And so every second morning, I go and download some software, basically. <laughs> <laughs> my body is now in tune. So every morning, I just go to the loo, and you know, it might take five minutes. It might take bloody an hour. It's one of those. But um, I find hot water helps, you know, hot water, lemon juice, orange juice. That always helps to kickstart the system. But I've, I've really downscaled on all the medical equipment that I've got to carry around the world. Mm. I, I can fit a year's supply of stuff into a small, small, small day pack, backpack. That's amazing. And because I think that can, 
excuse the pun, but it can cripple you having all, you know, being tied to all of those things. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, it it out of necessity, you know, mother, uh, what do they call it? Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, you know, yeah. when I was traveling quite a lot at one point and going onto the boat, I realized that I was, I had more travel bags full of medical supplies than I did sort of clothes and leashes and stuff that I needed for day to day living. And that I just couldn't deal with that. And, and, and that was actually an airline that wanted to charge me for bringing bags on board with medical stuff. And <laughs> nowadays that can't go on, you know, nowadays it's medical stuff. You can send it for free, but in those, you know, back in, back in, back in those days, I refused to pay for medical stuff. I had to take with me. It was a necessity. So that's how I downsized. So, you know, the little life hacks of the catheter is the one thing, just cleaning it with a touch of antiseptic and a liter and a half of water. And I keep that bottle near the, in the bathroom. And then I just pour it in immediately after I've used it. Uh, leg bags. I, I give them a wipe down and I, and I drop some essential oils on, on, on sort of the, um, what do you call it? It's the, it's the cover that goes onto the leg with the leg bag that sits inside it. So it smells nice. Mm. Uh, you know, I then give it a wash. I give it a wash once a week. So I'm, I'm using one of those once a month instead of using one a day as well. So I would say I use a tenth, a tenth now of, of what I used to use. And I'm also really intrigued. You say you shuffle over rocks and, and presumably you do the same when you shuffle down over the sand. You wear booties yeah. to protect your, your feet. And I've had a number of yeah. cuts on my feet without mm. wearing booties. What, what, how do you protect your, your backside particularly? You know, in one of my dark times, I ended up in Mozambique with a friend on the beach. He had a couple of shacks on the beach. It was an old school buddy of mine from South Africa, and I helped him sort of put a lodge together in a way. It was called Bamboozy. Anyway, we subsequently that that that's gone and lost. A typical story of Africa, but a beautiful wild place in Mozambique. And I met this black guy that had been paralyzed. And, you know, there was a war in Mozambique for 20-odd years. And so we went in there just after that. So there were a lot of crippled, <laughs> really crippled people around, landmines, paralysis, mm. blind. I felt really at home there. No one looked at me strange. No one, no one offered me help in a patronizing manner. And so it was one of those hard places that I thought, wow, I belong with a bunch of misfits and reprobates. And um, and all these all these um, all the locals there, all the black local guys speak Portuguese. So I was starting to learn Portuguese. Anyway, there was this one guy that stood out in my mind. He was completely paralyzed. He was a beast of a man. He had the body of a donus and these these skinny little twigs coming out the bottom of him, bottom <laughs> of him. And he used to he used to fold his legs up like a yogi and walk around on his hands. Wow! But my mate got a quad bike organized for me. So I never used a wheelchair in the sand. This lodge was built on, on the sand dunes and we overlooked the, the Indian Ocean. So I used a quad bike to go everywhere. And I noticed this guy crawling over the rocks on his backside and thinking, how on earth is he doing that? Why is he doing that? He would sit for long periods of time in the sand. And it dawned on me that it's just like a muscle. You know, go to the gym lift a couple of weights over a few months and you start to build a bicep. And I, I realized that I had to toughen up my, my, the skin on my ass. So I just started crawling around a lot more in the sand and, and 
spending, I started off, I think, on five minutes crawling around in the beach sand. Mm. Now, now I can do hours. It's hours. You know, I've, I've never had a pressure saw on my ass. Never. I have a yoga mat. I make my own wheelchairs, right? Mm-hmm. So I refuse to pay $5,000 for a wheelchair, so I make my own. They're made out of stainless steel, thin-walled, and they're as light as hell, and they, these things are indestructible. Indestructible. I cannot break these machines that I make. They're amazing. And I use a yoga mat. That's all I've got is a thin yoga mat. So spending so much time sitting on this yoga mat also strengthens the skin on my ass. And when the last time I went into a spinal the unit, the spinal unit in uh, in England. Every sort of five years, they beg for me to come in there to to have a checkup, and I go in there and they put the fear of God in me. But they do a pressure test under my ass, you know, they put the fancy <laughs> computer. And in front of me, I was watching it. This scale went straight from beware, warning, high pressure, straight to the red. It just it just went straight off the charts, and the guy. And the girl who were monitoring it, they sort of quizzically like looked and they're like, oh, there must be something wrong with the machine. <laughs> and I chuckled because I knew there was there was nothing wrong with it. And um, they moved the pads around and this and that and the machine. And then they brought out the older machine and the manual machine and then this and that. And they spent about an hour trying to work out the pressure, the pressures on my ass. And then in the end, they were like, you can't do this. I said, but I am. They said, but you can't. I said, but I am. <laughs> and he said, no, but you're going to get a pressure sore by tomorrow. I said, my friend, how long do you think I've been sitting on this chair for? He says, well, I don't know, but it's very irresponsible. I said, that exact cushion that you're looking at is probably about nine years old right now. And I've been on that same chair that I built probably 10 years ago. And they could not believe it. They were just – I rocked their world, actually. So – That's awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it's cheap. My 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 cushion is a ten dollar cushion. I buy a cool yoga mat. I cut it up, I layer it, and then I sit on it. And I don't go pay two hundred dollars for a cushion. There's no way. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's so brilliant. <laughs> so, I love you it. know a lot of my a lot of my friends say to me that I've learned how to live like a multimillionaire on a hundred bucks a week because of doing things like this: yoga mats, building my own chairs, crawling around. I absolutely love it, Bruno. It's so good. And and that pressure injury thing, I've heard from many an old guy and girl that have said the same thing. And nowadays we're, we're wrapped in cotton wool in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it doesn't do us any favors. No. Um, and and so, that's disabled or not. Disabled or not. Mm. I don't care whether you're a, a an Adonis six foot five guy full of muscles. You know, that guy is still being wrapped in cotton wool in some ways. Health and safety. You're not allowed to climb up a ladder without clipping on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was actually at a dinner last night. Oh, sorry. I was at a lunch yesterday. And up on the wall was a picture. It's quite a famous picture, but it was of these, like, sort of 10 men. They're building the San Francisco Bridge. And they're oh, just yeah. sitting on those big girders <laughs> eating lunch. You know, I'm sure you've seen that picture. Yeah, I've seen things um, of New York, guys standing yes, out on the steel. Exactly. Yep. Now, funnily enough, the place I was having lunch yesterday, the mum was there, and it's the mum's husband. Sorry, the mum's husband's father was the guy who took a lot of these pictures back in the day. Hmm. So there were a lot of these prints, and we were talking about it, where men were men, <laughs> you know. 
And when they built that San Francisco bridge, she was saying that there was there weren't a lot of deaths. There were only like about six or so. You know, building such a feat of engineering, but at the same time, not being shackled and harnessed to this thing. They didn't even have hard hats. Crazy. So I think there's a balance that we need to take into account. You know, like in this day and age, everyone's wrapped in raw cotton wool. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. And I sort of don't listen to all that stuff. And that's why I am. That's why I'm building the Sehabilitation Center down in Panama, where it's third world mixed with first world. And, you know, at the center that I'm building up, people can come there if they're feeling frustrated or if they want to, like, push themselves to new levels. And they can come learn how to ride quad bikes, burn their legs, get healed, crawl on the sand, get in a kayak, sit on a yoga mat, ride a quad bike, go fishing, get battered by the waves. And there are no such things as health and safety and and lawsuits. So it's a place where people can come to experience the wildness of nature, but have technology on their side as well. So I'm a big believer in merging technology and nature. I love this. One of the questions I've got here is around what the future holds for you. And it sounds like the center that you're building is very much part of your future. And, and, part of giving back to this community and inspiring others and uh, encouraging more of this adapt-defying mindset that, that you clearly have. Tell us about, about when the center will be open and, and, um, yeah. and how people can find out about it. Yeah, well, um, a couple of years ago, um, I thought it was time to leave Indonesia, uh, battle to live in Europe. And where else in the world was it? So I thought Costa Rica. Let me, let me work out Costa Rica. It sounds cool. I went out there, and it's a beautiful place. But I soon realized that it's too expensive, hard to get residency, and they try to steal my wheelchair off the beach. So I wasn't interested in that. So I had heard about Panama, and some friends of mine had moved down to Panama. And so um, my cousin Christopher went out there just before me. He cruised around. He loved it. I sent him on like a recon mission while I went to Costa Rica. And I then went down to Panama to join him. And with my cousin and myself, Chris, we have always had this dream to open up a center somewhere in the world where we can teach people in chairs to do things that I've done. Because this cousin of mine has sailed with me up and down throughout the world on different boats and has always joined me on different ventures and has always been, uh, um, been along for this, for this wild ride. And he knows how to deal with someone in a chair. So we've had this dream. Let's open up this, this center somewhere in the world. And Panama just fell into our laps, and it just opened up for us. We've got residency there. We bought a piece of land. And for the past three years, we've been roughing it. And I mean roughing it. I lived in my car for a while. I lived in a tent. And we're talking about a place full of spiders. I hate spiders. I don't like spiders at all. <laughs> we're talking about creepy crawlies. You can rather throw a Throw me in a room with a lion or a tiger, but don't put me in a room with a spider. Then you see me become that, become a quivering mess. So anyway, um, you know, and scorpions and snakes and black panthers and jaguars and all these wow. creatures. But it's an amazing natural environment that has got such power and that instills such a feeling of, of beauty and happiness and wholeness that I knew this is home. This is home. So for the past three years, we've built up this camp where I've now live there in a caravan. Uh, we've got a workshop in the form of a container. 
and we've put two huge big 40-foot containers in place there. And this is all self-funded. Whenever we go out and we make a bit of money, we go and we plug it into to this place in Panama. And um, we are now turning these big 40-foot containers into accommodation where people can come straight from rehabilitation, come and spend a week, a month, whatever it is, come and spend it with us and get blasted into the stratosphere of understanding what is possible to do as an action figure being stuck in a wheelchair. Now, I'm starting off with people in chairs, men to start with, because that's what I know. That's what I'm good at. I, that's the Bruno Bootcamp side of me. But we want to expand into people that have got problems in all areas of life, you know, where there is no time for PTSD hmm. because you're too busy scratching something or you're too busy crawling over the hot sand. You're too busy fixing that small cut that you got on the leg because you crawled up onto a quad bike and we rode 11 kilometers flying down this godforsaken, beautiful, amazing beach where we don't want to break down alone. We always travel with water, food, and a radio because if we break down there, you're spending time alone out there. And we always travel together. Now saying that, I'm often on my quad bike alone and I'm down this beach going to find a surf spot into, on these far, far reaches of the jungle. And I wear, sometimes I go and surf alone, but I always tell someone, if I'm not back in 48 hours, come looking for me on the beach, bring the four by four and look for me. So the center is going to be a place of where there is technology, where at night you're comfortable, you're safe, you've got your mosquito net, we've got fans, air con, you know, you can plug your phone into USB and we can watch a, we can watch a movie on a projector. But during the day, it's, a level of hardship that is so satisfying and puts a smile on one's face. And that's what we're busy building at the moment. And I go back there in January, January, February, March to go and um, to go work with my cousin and we continue building and we do it with a bunch of workaways. Actually went onto a workaway website and uh, put up a, put up a, as a host saying, this is our project and I need people to come and help us build. Because I love the Panamanians, I love Central Americans, but everything's manana. They got such a laid back <laughs> attitude to life. But, <laughs> ah, we do it manana, manana, manana. Whereas I want to get things done yesterday. There's that side to me. I want to get it done and get people there. And that's where I get my kicks nowadays. I get my kicks of by getting someone who's a bit broken, doesn't know where they're going or what they're doing in life. And by the end of it, they're charging around on a quad bike with a surfboard screaming yeehaw you know that's so good hey so yeah. if you were to offer well anybody any advice what would it be in life yeah oh, advice is a dangerous thing especially coming from a bit of a nutcase like myself <laughs> uh, well okay let me let me narrow it down a bit if there was someone out there that wanted to get into adaptive surfing, what would you say? How would, right. ha, what would be the best way for them to get involved? We'll start okay, depending there. on the country, you know, depending on the country. <clears throat> so America and England is great. They're fantastic. All you have to do is type in adaptive surfing <clears throat> and you see a whole, a whole list of things that come up. Now, some parts of South America are fantastic as well. Um, but someone who, let's say it's a surfer that's now damaged and paralyzed and in a chair and they want to get into surfing. There's a, there's a site, there's an organization called the Challenged Athletes Foundation. 
You can write to them. You can fill out a, a request for a grant. They raise money to bring athletes back into sport. So whether it's surfing or hand cycling, whatever it is. The Chinese Athletes Foundation is an incredible, incredible organization. They're based here in California, and they have helped me. They pay for me to come back to California every year to come and surf here. So, for budget, say, who hasn't had a big insurance payout, the Challenge Athletes Foundation is a great way to start. And now with the internet, there's so much research. And, you know, or get hold of me. Go onto my Instagram, Brunotion13. Send me a message. You know, I'm so connected with a lot of different organizations in the world. Um, with surfing and um, and it's because I keep winning every year and I'm the only adaptive surfer to have won three times in a row the world championships so you know there must be something that I'm doing right and there are numerous outlets now for for let's say there's someone in New Zealand who wants to get into surfing now I think it was two years ago we had a, we had a guy from New Zealand come out and he was what was he he was an amputee, I think it was. Yeah. But there's not a full New Zealand team. So by contacting the Challenge Athletes Foundation, you can get funding to get around $1,500, which will pay for a flight to get out here and um, help pay for the entrance to, to join the World Championships as a Kiwi. That's an example. Awesome. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, we talked about – you know, your your life hacks, so to speak, for traveling and cutting back medical supplies. Um, what's what's What are some other key skills that you could pass on to someone listening? I think it's, you know, I always look back upon, I always fall back upon realizing that life is an incredible, incredible adventure. And it is our duty to have fun. So mm. whatever the fuck that is, make sure you have fun. And of <laughs> course, at no one else's expense. So I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big drug taker, but I have dabbled. Uh, I, I enjoy smoking a bit of weed or having an edible and being in a quiet zone, moving my body into a form of a yoga so I'm starting this kind of inventing, let's call it not my my own sort of yoga, body movements that help stretch the body, move the body in ways that you ordinarily wouldn't move. Now, what that does is somehow, and I don't know how it works, but it somehow brings out a certain way of thinking. And with a certain way of thinking, this enables one to go out into the world and take chances. Hmm. And by taking chances in the world and by surviving these chances, which is a 99% sort of um, statistic, it empowers us. And by empowering us, we start taking bigger chances and bigger and bigger and bigger chances. Because, you know, someone who is feeling slightly depressed and who's at home and who's paralyzed, and I don't care if you're a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, okay? Because some of these quadriplegics that I hang out with blow my mind. They absolutely blow my mind and i've got the the highest respect for quads that gets things done i have one friend called pancho he lives in peru so he has a he has a quick little story we'll deviate slightly then we'll come back to life hack so 
I met this Peruvian guy, Pancho, met him at the World Championships, and I got the feeling that he was in awe of what I could do and what I did. And he was a quad. And he used to tell me, you're a legend, you're a legend. And I just shrug it off going, don't worry, man, I'm a Forrest Gump, you know. And, um, and you know, just to blow my own trumpet, there are a lot of surfers here who who look up to me and follow me on Instagram. And and I have to, I've learned now to be a, to be a bit more responsible with what I say and do in the way of influencing these people. But this quadriplegic, you know, I became friendly with him, but I didn't become his big mate because there's so many people and there's so much going on and everyone sort of wants a piece of me at times. And it's quite mentally draining, especially during a competition where I zone out and I get in the groove and I don't get bugged by anyone and I'm there to win. Basically, mm. I'm not there to have fun. I'm there to win. So I'm, kind of hypocritical in some ways go out and have fun in the world with surfing but when it's competitions i'm there to win and that's to push the level of adaptive surfing to such a high level that it gets taken seriously anyway i went down to peru i met a beautiful girl uh in panama here in america we decided to do a trip we went to peru and we went to visit poncho because i happened to be in lima got hold of poncho and we went surfing together he has to have a whole team of people <laughs> Um, helping him in the water because he mm. can drown. So mm. One guy who helps get him in, one guy who's a catcher, one guy to carry him, and this, and I'm the one that crawls around and I do my own thing. There's some pretty hardcore waves in Peru. I'll tell you that much. I got my ass handed to me. But I watched Pancho, that quadriplegic, fly down some of these waves that were so big, I couldn't believe what I was watching. And I was gobsmacked. You know, and that day I said to him, I said, Pancho, what do you do for a living? Because... I see you got a nice car, you got a host of people around, you got a beautiful wife, you got kids. You're a dude, man. You're like a you're like a you're like a gangster. <laughs> no, well, I used to be a pilot for Avianca. And he, on the way to the airport in a taxi, they had a car accident and he became a quadriplegic. That guy now is a is a jet pilot, passenger airplane, jet, whatever they are, 707s, pilot instructor. <laughs> teaches people how to become a pilot to fly these airplanes around the planet. And he does it all by in a simulator, by using his claw fingers, that I call him, <laughs> on the screen. And so here's a quadriplegic that absolutely blew my mind and has got his life together a lot more than I have. He's got a loving family. He's got a cool car. He's got a cool house. He's surfing. He's always got the biggest smile on his face. Awesome. You know, as much as I say how I got my life together, there's still a dark side to my life that needs taming. And so I'm I know how to I know how to get people that are in a dark zone to an area of where I am right now. I don't profess to have all the answers, but I know that with technology and with nature. We have this ability to at least get to a place of where we can enjoy life when we are in that frame of mind, where we're super happy. So um, my bringing it all into a big circle, my, my bit of advice would be spend as much time as one can in nature. And it doesn't matter if it's going to hug a tree or sit under a tree. Take your shoes off, put them on the grass, put your feet on the grass, put your mm. feet on the sand. You know, I used to often, when I look back a few years ago, I used to drive up to the beach and I used to become so despondent and depressed and sad because all I wanted to do 
was quickly get out my car, run down the sand, jump into the water, get out, come back to the car and drive off and go and carry on doing what I wanted to do. But I, I realized I couldn't do that. I was stuck. I couldn't actually, it just wasn't feasible with the timing and the ability to actually crawl across a long beach, go for a quick swim and then come back and then de-sand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no one realizes how, that we have to de-sand, get the sand out from under your ass. Otherwise you're going to sit on that sand. It's going to, you know, rash, rash your ass and that will lead to a pressure sore. Mm. So my, my bit of advice there is spend as much time as you can in nature where it's possible and where it's feasible and don't take too big a bite, small bites, small bites, you know. It's so good, Bruno. Hey, where can people find out more about you? Uh, I've got a website, www.brunocean.com. So that's B-R-U-N-O-C-E-A-N. So it's kind of I mix the word Bruno and ocean. So one of or Instagram, Brunocean13. People can get hold of me there and I um I try my best to answer everyone that sort of writes to me, but I'm not that guy that sits all day long behind his social media. So I um I do what I can. But I'm always happy to give advice on you know where to go, what to do, how how to live life, not just exist, as if that makes sense, you know. Yeah, I like that saying. Yeah. 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 Because I think that um this life that we have, it's here to be enjoyed, man. And even if we die doing something we enjoy, isn't that taking our last our last gasps of breath lying in a hospital with tubes coming out of us? <laughs> That's definitely not the way I want to go. <laughs> Me neither, mate. Me neither. Hey, Bruno, I get the feeling this isn't going to be the last time we speak, uh, and, and I look forward to meeting you in person, um, maybe, maybe, maybe catch a wave or, or have, a, have some sort of adventure together, certainly on my cards in the future. Um, we'll, uh, we'll be sure to, to link all this up in some show notes, and uh, you know, thanks so much for joining us. No, it's been great. It's been great chatting. And, um, yeah, let's try and hook up in person whether it be Bali, New Zealand, or or Panama. Come and be a guest at our place in Panama, what's since done. Oh, yeah. I love the sound of that, mate, for sure. You can free big. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, well, um, good luck uh, Good luck in the upcoming uh, surfing comps uh, this season. And, uh, yeah, travel, travel well, as I'm sure you will. Great. Yep, and those for those people that are interested in the world championships for adaptive surfing, just go on to – the ISA, International Surfing Association uh, website, or type in Adaptive Surfing California, and a whole list of things come up. And the World Championships will be December uh, 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th, so mid-December, with the finals culminating on December the 16th. It's quite interesting. Whereabouts is that being held? Is it multiple locations? That's, or No, no, that's one location, La Jolla in San Diego, California. And it'll ah. be streamed. Um, and it's all done pretty professionally. Fantastic, mate. All right. Yeah. Hey, fantastic. Cool. Thanks for taking the time, mate. I really appreciate it. It's lovely to speak no with you. No worries. Anytime. Cheers, bro. Cheers, Mike. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's 
A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind the scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.